mostly found it. If you would look there, verse 1 with me. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you again for this morning. God, I pray that this time that we're going to spend looking at your word, God, we would say focus on you. God, we would say focus on what your word is teaching us, what it is telling us. And God, that we would submit to it, we would align our lives to it. Father, I thank you again for this church. I pray that you would you would help us, Father, as we continue to, to move forward, God, that you would grow us, and, and God, you would show us the ministries that we need to be a part of, and God, that everyone be, would be understanding of this gospel and how we need to be spreading it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for everything that you've given to us, and we thank you most of all this morning for Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Let me ask you, you know what it takes to run a marathon? Insanity. That's what it takes. A marathon, for those of you who don't know, is a long-distance run and kind of the longest-distance run, one of the longer-distance runs that you can do. It's 26.2 miles long, in case you didn't realize that. That's a, that's a long race. Anyone ever done a marathon in here? A couple of us? Three of us? Okay. Y'all are insane. But that's awesome, right? That is an incredible feat to be able to do something like that. I remember years ago... When I was in high school, there was a student who was a grade below me who was in cross-country, which is kind of the high school equivalent of doing marathon and long-distance runnings. And I asked him what his training regimen was like. He said, well, last week, for example, I ran 40.6 miles. You hear him. 40 miles. That's insane. I didn't even drive that last week. That is absolutely an insane amount of distance to run. And so when we think about doing something that long distance... It got me thinking, okay, what is the preparation for doing something like that? So I just very quickly Googled, okay, what, what is kind of the starting suggestions of things that you should do in running a marathon? And this is one of the first things I pulled up. And it starts out and it says, for many runners, the desire to do a marathon is about personal challenge. You might want to test your limits or prove that you can go the distance. Perhaps if a friend has talked you into it, maybe you'd like to lose weight, get healthier, raise awareness for a charity. Whatever your reason... Hold on to it and remind yourself of it often during the months that lie ahead. When your legs are tired or the weather is nasty, maintaining your motivation will help you get out the door. And then it goes on and says, getting started, the very first thing it says is be aware of your limits. It goes on and tells us it's a long-distance race. Some people physically may not be able to do this. You need to make sure that you're able to do this kind of a race. It says to start early, to have a goal, understand what you're aiming for, and to start early in the year or even the year before in training. And then it goes on and says and start small. Start with small, excuse me, smaller races and go on from there. And then it jumps down and it says four building blocks of marathon training. It has four things that it says this is kind of what you need to set up in your life to get ready for that long-distance run. The first thing it says is to have base mileage. And basically, it means to build your weekly mileage over time, running three to five times per week. So that's going to change your entire week and the, week, the way your week looks. Three to five times a week, you're going to be running and doing different amounts of running. The next thing it says is to do a long run. 
It says every, every week or week and a half to have a day set aside where you're planning on running as far as you possibly can and to build on that. You're wanting to get to that 26.2 mile mark. And then it says to do speed work, to do smaller intervals where you set a time or a tempo and you try to beat that to build your cardiovascular system. And then fourthly, it says to make sure that you have adequate rest and recovery. It helps prevent injuries and mental burnout. Now, knowing that, and that's just a brief list that we can look at and talk about, and I'm sure there are dozens, if not hundreds, of other sites you could pull up that would have other tips and other things. The reality is you're not going to just accidentally run a marathon, are you? You're not just going to accidentally be prepared to run a marathon well, at least. We may get out there and say, well, I'm going to do a marathon, and I've not trained for it. That's going to be a very difficult 26 miles for you to do, even if you walk it. If after service, if, that's the operative word, if I said, okay, after service, I want you all to wait around in the parking lot for me, and I'm going to run a 26.2-mile marathon, how do you think that's going to go for me? Not good. Immediately, even before I finish the question, some of you are like, no, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. We've seen you, Damon. It won't work out. Okay? That's a long-distance run. You're not going to just accidentally do that. It takes preparation. It takes knowledge of what it takes to run this kind of run, or at least to do it well. And this morning, keeping that in mind and using that as an illustration, we see the author of Hebrews giving us three pointers to how we can run our race well as Christians. Because oftentimes in Scripture, the Christian life is related to a race. You know, a lot of times we say we're in our Christian walk or this is how my Christian walk is going. Actually, Scripture uses the analogy of a race or running. It is something that is long distance. It is something that feels more like a marathon than a sprint. And the reality is, Christian, no matter what age you are in, if you are still breathing, you are still participating in this race of life that God has called you to. Whether you're a 15-year-old Christian who just was saved last year, or you're 85 years old, it doesn't matter. Scripture is clearly teaching us that we are in the middle of a race. As Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, I have ran the race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. We are all in the middle of a race called life. And as I've already said, it's not a sprint, or at least most of the times it doesn't feel like a sprint. It feels like a marathon. It feels like a long-distance run that we're on. And we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews giving us three pointers on how we can run our race well. Because, Christian, understanding that you're in a race and understanding that this life has purpose and meaning and value and God has called you to it, I think every Christian in this room, if you were asked, what kind of race do you want to run? You would say, I want to run well. I want to do this race well. I want to run this race well. I want to live this life devoted to Christ and glorifying God with my entire life. I don't want to waste this time. I don't want to waste this run. I want to do it well. And if that's your heart this morning, then we're going to see three things very clearly in Hebrews 12 that the author is teaching us. Three pointers. He said, this is how you run your spiritual race well. And the reality is, Christian, it is never too late to begin running your race well. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you think, well, my race is almost over. No, that's, that's not the case. If you're here and you're hearing this right now, there's still time. There's still time to take heed to the words of God's word and to align your life to it and say, this is what I'm committed to. 
And we're going to see that this morning. So if you would, look there in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now, to give us a little bit of context here, we understand that the author of Hebrews is anonymous. We don't know who it was. There are scholars and there are Bible teachers who have different suggestions and different, different thoughts, but we just don't know who he was. This is Scripture that is written. It is in Scripture. We trust as much as any Scripture. We just simply don't know who the author was. But we see in the context that going into Hebrews chapter 12, he kind of does this gear shift and tells us to refocus and commit to our Christian disciplines. He comes after Hebrews chapter 11 that puts us in context with where we are in Scripture. And Hebrews chapter 11, I think, is a chapter that most of us, maybe we don't realize it, but most of us know about. It's this long list of faithful men and women throughout Scripture, throughout church history, who have been faithful to the gospel message. We call it the Hall of Faith. I think I heard it. Hall of Faith. It's this Hall of Faith that he is talking about and pointing out faithful people throughout the Old Testament, people that we know of, people that we don't know of, who have been faithful witnesses to the things of God. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 12, Verses 1 and 2. And that's the context here. So, so keep that in mind as we are beginning to read these two verses. And the first thing that he points out that we need to do to run our race well is to follow the example of others. Look there in verse 1. Remember, context, chapter 11. He's talked about this group of people, this hall of faith. He says, Therefore, or because of these people, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also... So he's telling us to look to the example of these people that he just mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. That word surrounded, if you look there, that means to be encircled. That they're literally everywhere throughout Scripture. Faithful men and women who have devoted their life to running their race well. And he says it's important for us to see these people and to devote our understanding of what they did and how they ran well. Encircled, it also means that we're bound to them. This great cloud, it means that it is numerous, it's great, a large group of people in quantity and also quality. And it says that they are witnesses. Look at that word. It's a very interesting word. When we think about this word in Scripture, there's, there's three different meanings that it could carry. The first one is like a legal witness. And I think most of us would know what that is. Someone who is called to a stand, who is legally bound to witness or testify. Is it me, Curtis? Is it me? Can we go off this one? Can you hear me now? Good. Goodness. Y'all be ready for Brother Jim after me. It's a word that has that meaning of a legal witness. Someone who is bound by oath to tell what is true or what they witnessed or seen. That's one meaning of the word. Also, the second meaning is a historical witness. Someone who's seen things and seen things throughout history and testified to that reality. Someone like Luke, for example, who wrote the book of Luke and also the book of Acts. He was a historian. He was a physician, but he was also a historian. Someone who interviewed, interviewed an eyewitness things in the book of Acts and wrote them down and testified to their truth and their accuracy. But this word here is carrying the third meaning of the word, and that is being a spiritual witness. That is someone who has devoted their life to running their race well and being a faithful witness to the goodness and the message of God. That's what we see. We see that in chapter 11. 
listen real quickly to verse 36 as it describes this group of people. People that we don't even know about, don't even know their names. It says, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These are people, some we know of, most we don't, no matter what lot in life they had, they were faithful to be a witness to the goodness and the grace of God in their life. That word witness, it's the word martyrs. And it's where we get our word martyr. It is someone who is willing and has laid down their life for the gospel message. And this is our first point that the author of Hebrews gives us in running our Christian race well. It says, look to those who have gone on before you. Look to the faithful witnesses throughout Scripture, throughout church history, who have faithfully devoted their life to a faithful witness of the things of God. So he tells us, that's first and foremost. We know that there is encouragement in other people struggling, going through things that we are also going through. Think about a marathon. I wouldn't want to run a marathon by myself. We do it as a group for a reason. There's purpose behind it. There's power in a group of people who are striving for the same thing. And the author of Hebrews says, look at those people throughout history who have done that. And so that's why it's important for us, all of us, to know our Bible. To read Scripture, to understand who these people were, to understand how they faithfully testified to the things of God in their life, in their culture. Not only the Bible, but I think every believer should know church history. Knowing the people throughout the last 2,000 years who have done the same thing. And it motivates us and it pushes us forward to run our race well. That's the first thing. Follow the example of others. And the second thing is to dress appropriately. Look there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, let me ask you, if I did all the training for a marathon, if I did everything that it took, I'm in a good place and the day of the race comes and I step out there in hiking boots and Carhartt coveralls on a summer day, am I prepared for the race? Am I going to last the 26 miles that it takes to run a marathon? Absolutely not. There's no way. In, in running a marathon and doing these things, there's a reason that you dress a certain way, that, that you wear a certain shoe, that you wear clothes that aren't, that aren't cumbersome, that don't hinder you because it hinders you from running your race well. And in the same way, this author is relating that reality and that truth to our Christian life. It says, look at the, the example around you, and just like them, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He describes two things that we, as followers of Christ in running our race, should be laying aside and casting aside. But first, I want to look at that wording, lay aside. Look there in your Bible. They say lay aside, cast off. The actual word means to cast off. So, so it's not just painting the picture of we, we tie it around us somehow. We take it off, we tie it around us somehow. It's not just saying that we keep it beside us in case we need it. 
This is carrying the idea that we throw it as far away from us as possible. That when we, when we take these things and we lay them off of our lives, we lay them completely aside. We have nothing to do with them anymore. It's not something that we keep to the side in case we need it again. It is something that we understand. This has hindered us. This has hurt us from running our race well. So the two things that he describes, keep that in mind. We're to lay these things aside. We're to cast them away and have nothing more to do with them. And the first group of things that he describes is things that weigh us down. Look there, it says, let us also lay aside every weight. This word, it's talking about a burden that weighs us down. Just like you wouldn't run a marathon carrying something heavy, it doesn't make sense in the Christian life to keep things attached to your life that hinders you or holds you back from the Christian life that God has called you to. Now, this is kind of a, a broad category. We could fill in with many different things, but I think a good word to help us kind of get the idea here is the word distractions. We live in a day and age where everyone is so distracted, don't we? No one can pay attention, can they? Everyone is distracted, and it's not just one person or two people. We all have been affected by this to some degree. We are such a distracted people, and what we are not realizing is that those distractions are really keeping us away from the true joy of following after Christ. Those things are keeping us from the true joy of being committed to a church family. Those things are keeping us distracted from being a witness and a missionary where God has called us to. It's sad to think about that the modern church in America is missing out on the blessing of being committed to the church and the blessing of being, being among a group of people, a body of believers, missing out on the blessing of sharing Christ and leading someone to Christ because we can't stop watching Netflix. If you're thinking that sounds cheap, that's because it is. These things are not worth our time if... They are keeping us from what is most important. They're not worth it. They're not of eternal value. They are temporary. And the author of Hebrews says, if you're going to run well, if you're going to live this life well, cast it off. You're saying, don't ever watch Netflix again? Maybe. Is that so crazy? Are you really missing anything? If it's something that distracts you, if it's something that, that weighs you down and keeps you and hinders you, cast it aside. The next category he brings in is, of course, one that is, is very, makes a lot of sense that he would bring it in. He says, lay aside every weight and sin. And it's interesting that he separated these two things. That there are those things, those distractions that may not necessarily in themselves be sinful, but they become sinful because they distract us, they weigh us down, and then there's sin itself. This, of course, is a transgression, iniquity, an offense to God himself. We have this idea that the Christian life is being able to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. In church, it's simply not. The author of Hebrews is very honest with us that we need to cast those sins aside. And there are some of us here this morning that keeps those little pet sins in our back pocket, right? 
we keep those things close and just in case we need them, just in case we get tired or emotionally drained, whether it's anger, whether it's greed, whether it's lust, whatever it is, we think, oh, I've got it under control. It's, it's tucked away. No one sees it. No one knows what's going on. But the reality is, is that it clings closely. That's the next wording. Lay aside this sin which clings so closely. It's not something that we can have on the side and not be affected by. I couldn't run that marathon well if my shoes were tied together, could I? And it would be ridiculous of me to think that that wasn't really affecting my running. The author of Hebrews says sin in the same way. It, it clings closely. I believe it's the NIV version that says, which so easily entangles us. It's not something that is easy to keep around. It is something that affects us on a daily basis. The author of Hebrews says, lay these things aside. Take them and cast them off. Be honest with the distractions in the life. Be honest with the sin that's in your life and realize how it is hurting and hindering you as a follower of Christ. Lay these things aside and dress appropriately for the race that you're in. And that's the next part we see in verse 1. He says, cast these weights aside, cast these sins aside, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look there. He says, when we dress appropriately, that prepares us for the race that we are in. That word run, it means to have course, to have purpose. That when these things are attached to us, we can't fulfill our purpose as a follower of Christ. We can't run with endurance when these weights and these things are attached to us. So when we lay them aside, it prepares us to run and to run with endurance. Understanding that God has called us to something in this life. He has called us to be a witness and a testimony to those people around us. And we cannot do that if these things are still attached to our life. Lay them aside, Christian. They're not worth your time. They're not worth your witness. Lay them aside so that you can run the race that God has set before you. He has purpose and meaning for your life, and it's not found in these distractions, and it's not found in these sins that cling so closely. It is found in casting those things aside and running your race with endurance, to strive toward a goal. Not only should we follow the example of others, not only should we dress appropriately, but thirdly, we should fix our eyes on the prize. Look there in verse 2. It says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. We see these two, two very clear truths here. He's saying that Jesus, he is our motivation in running our race. He is our goal. He is what we are striving and he is what we are running towards. He is worthy of casting these things aside and aligning our lives to the things of God. Because at the end of it all, no matter how difficult that race becomes, he is what we get. He is what we have. And he is the goal and the motivation for the race that you are in. 
We are to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the greatest prize we could ever have. He's the goal. He's the prize. He's the one who motivates us to run and to struggle. When mile 22 comes around and it's really hard and it's really difficult and you're the most pain you've ever been in in your life, don't think about what's happened behind you. You think about what's ahead of you. You think about the finish line. You think about what's there waiting for you. And Christian, we already have Christ and we are striving because we are heading towards Him. He is not only our goal, but He is our greatest example. Look there. Looking to Jesus, the founder, that word, it, it literally means the chief leader or the captain. I love that word. He's the captain of our salvation. He is the one who has set this perfect example. And that's what we see in the next word, the founder and perfecter. He has set the highest example of laying these things of the world aside and running the race that God has set before him. If we want a great example of what it means to glorify God with our lives and be a testimony to those around us, we have to look no further than Jesus because he's the perfect example. You want to talk about a race that was difficult? You want to talk about a running that was hard? Look at the life and the ministry of Jesus. He came to this life, and the 33 years that he spent on this life, he knew he was heading towards the cross. He knew he was heading towards suffering the things of the cross and the anguish of the cross. He knew that. He understood that. But we see that what he was focused on is the joy that would have been accomplished and was accomplished through that work. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now this is carrying this thought that we suffer and we struggle knowing what we have at the finish line, just like Jesus did. Jesus, knowing that the joy that was coming to him for the work that he would accomplish on the cross, knowing that, he endured the cross. He persevered. He continued to finish the work that God had called him to. That, that phrase, despising the shame. We think of the word despise. We think of hating. And although it does carry that meaning, it also carries the meaning of thinking little of. That when Jesus seen the, the end goal, when he's seen what the accomplished work of the cross was going to do in glorifying God and redeeming lost sinners like us, he thought little of the suffering that he would experience in this life. And Christian, let me tell you, look to that example. Because in following after Christ, you will have struggles. You will have difficulties. You will have trials and tragedies and persecutions. But just like Christ those things seem very small when we understand the eternity that's awaiting for us at the finish line. That Christ, our prize, our goal, our great example is there waiting on us. So Christian, as we wrap up this morning, what kind of race are you running? What's it look like? I don't know. We see each other, what, three hours a week? What's it look like on a daily basis? There is still time to recommit to running your race 
well, that we should follow the example of others. We should dress appropriately, casting off the distractions and the sins, and we should fix our eyes on the prize of Christ. As we pray, now is your time to respond. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for everything that you've given to us. Lord, thank you for your word. God, that it encourages us. It's, it's moving us, God, to live the life that you've called us to. Father, I pray that everyone in this room, God, that they would, first and foremost, they would know you. That, that they have repented from their sins and they've trusted in Christ for salvation. God, I pray for those who know you, that they would be running their race well. They would be committed to what you've called them to, where they're at right now. And Father, please help us as a church to obey your word, to be committed to your word, and to share your word with others who need it. Father, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You would stand with us.